ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our very special guest for a very special episode is Benedict Dyker, the person who helped me to build Tiny Reminder. He's a software engineer, an awesome consultant, and the founder of Stage CMS. Hi, Benedict. Hi. Thank you for making it today. Yeah, no problem. So we're going to shoot for two goals for this episode. First, we're going to let the world learn about yourself. And second, we're going to talk about uh, behind the scenes of Tiny Reminder launch. Yeah, sounds good. Fantastic. So, uh, Benedict, I'm going to start with a few questions. And the first one is, what do you do for a living? Um, as you already mentioned, I'm a software engineer and consultant, and I earn my money basically by helping people build software products, mostly SaaS-related stuff, uh, sometimes uh, backends for mobile applications, but yeah, that's in general what I do, doing software development and consulting and helping people launch awesome products. Oh, sounds fantastic. Uh, can you share a little bit of background? How did you get there? I think if we start at the very beginning, we'll probably talk about this for an hour, but <laughs> <laughs> I basically started programming and getting into computers when I was a kid, when I was back in school. And also, for some reason, I also happened to get into like freelancing in a way. I, I wouldn't really call it that, but I started to earn money by just doing websites and stuff for people. And after school, I started uh, studying computer science. After that, got a, my first job at a startup, and after two or three years, I dropped out and became an independent software developer and consultant, and that's basically what I'm doing now for, for a few years now. Great. I wonder how that startup experience influenced your uh, current uh, you know, views of a developer. Um, I'm not sure if it really changed my views as a developer, but... Um, just the experience of going through the venture capital thing and basically constantly being worried about the company having enough money to pay you for another month um, definitely taught me some lessons about uh, venture capital and the whole uh, startup machine. Great. What does your typical day look like? I think we should mention that you're from Germany, if I'm right. <laughs> yes, I'm from Germany. I'm not sure how much that affects my typical day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, know. Um, yeah, I don't know, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. It's nothing too fancy. I get up, have some breakfast, get into my office. Um, usually, I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, not that much of a morning person, so my mornings are mostly email and administrative stuff. And the actual... Work gets mostly done in the in the afternoon. I, I, it just feels like that I'm more productive and get better thoughts and ideas in the afternoon. And um, yeah, that's basically is it. Get into the office, get home again, cook some dinner, eat, and relax on the couch. <laughs> and then that's next day great. repeat. <laughs> right, right. That's great to hear that you're not one of 
those produ- productive zombies that I, I envy so much who wake up at 5 a.m. and uh, just crank out their best stuff no, <laughs> for the first no, couple hours. <laughs> that's definitely not me. And um, I made the observation that sleep is very important to me. I It doesn't make any sense to not get like at least six or seven hours of sleep. If I don't get those, I basically get nothing done the whole day. So, um, yeah, I usually try to not set an alarm, alarm clock if it's not necessary and uh, get up when I'm awake so I'm being more productive. Great. What do you enjoy the most and the least about your work? Um, definitely shipping products is the most fun part. Also building products is fun, but um, it gets dull after a while if you don't <laughs> ship anything. So shipping is great and launching products. Um, what I don't like is um, all the administrative work, especially in Germany with taxes and stuff. It's it's a pain. <laughs> and, I imagine, uh, yeah. That's that's definitely one part I don't like. And also, I think everyone uh, who's working uh, independently knows the emotional roller coaster of self-employment, which can be good in the high phases, but uh, the down phases of the roller coaster are. Not so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> what is your next big thing? Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, the last few years I've been working on Stage CMS, which is a uh, content management system for band websites. But um, while it's up and running and making some money, it's not going that great. So I'm thinking about doing something new, but I'm not really sure what that will be. The next thing I'm going to do is redo my personal website, consulting-related website, but that's about it. Uh-huh. Yes, by the way, I know of these two projects of yours. One is your big product, Stage CMS, and the other is the conference that's going to be happening in a week from now, which is called FemtaConf. Can you tell us about both a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, the... Stage CMS, as I mentioned, is a CMS product I um, also have been working on for quite some time, over 10 years now. Uh, I only launched it one and a half, two years ago, Um, and it's directed at musicians, especially um, professional musicians who really take their business seriously. And getting in front of those is is hard, I realized over the last few months. So, um, yeah. It's moving slowly, too slow to be a lot of fun. So um, that's uh, that's the uh, that's the one thing. And FemtoConf is a, a conference I'm doing together with Christoph Engelhardt, who has been on the podcast I think two or three episodes ago. Um, and it's basically an experiment. We are both fans of MicroConf and wanted to do something similar in a way, but not that big and fancy like a whole mega conference just hanging out with cool people and uh, having a great weekend and catching up with all the people you met at microconf but in february instead of october or august which it is for microconf europe usually and you don't have to go to barcelona you stay at home and everyone comes to you isn't that amazing (laughs) Uh, i don't know i really like uh traveling away and getting getting into other cities and other countries for conferences it's a good excuse to see new places so that part is right. actually not that cool but 
organizing wise it's a lot easier to be at the place and uh know your way around and don't have to figure out everything yourself but be kind of familiar with the with the location so for organizing <laughs> i really like it but for going to conferences uh traveling is nice uh, just a little uh, sidetrack i think it's your first time organizing an event yourself um, yes. A couple of lessons you learned that people should know about before they engage into something like that. I'm not really sure. If something I, that sure. was uh, surprising, for example. <laughs> hmm. I think we should talk about it in a week <laughs> when the conference right. already already right. happened. Because right now everything seems to be quite okay, but uh, I think there will be some surprises. <laughs> Indeed. Great. Yes, I was asking this question and wondering whether exactly we should, like, it's it's not even over. The main takeaways are probably going to be the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. let's talk about Tiny Reminder. And um, yeah. a little bit of background, Tiny Reminder is a little software product that uh, got started last year, the end of your last year. It's a small web application that allows people to get files and uh, information from busy clients and we kind of play bad cop for them by sending automated notifications. Um, and uh, the idea was conceived around October and I started looking for the developer. And uh, thanks goodness, Benedict was excited about the idea and he approached me, which I'm, I'm so, so thankful that you did. How did you come up with this idea? <laughs> I mean, it was your idea, so <laughs> I didn't come up with anything. Uh, I just, I, I think I, I saw your landing page, which you put up, and, and was like, yeah, that seems like a really good idea and a really cool small product to start with. Uh, because the, the core value proposition is quite clear and quite obvious in a way. And also not super complicated to build. So I was like, yeah, that sounds like a fun project and I'd love to build it. <laughs> so I uh, just sent you a message and uh, yeah, wanted to offer my help if there's anything I could, could help with. Um, I didn't really expect to be the one developing in the, it in the end, but hey, why not? <laughs> it was a fun project yeah. so far. There is always a risk when you're engaging with a friend um, that something might go wrong. But thankfully, we've, we've been quite far and everything has been fine yet. But I think the main prob problems lie when there are, people are co-founders because there are more major risks about uh, figuring out who uh, gives the biggest input and uh, who is not or something like that. But Yeah, yeah. If, especially if the, if the direction everyone wants to go is not the same so you get contradicting goals and i think that's the part where it gets messy but uh, in this case i mean you take the lead and i just build whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's nice so like ultimately i have the ultimate say even if it might be not the wisest decision but it's still mine and like you wash your hands and you say you're done <laughs> you know <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah basically in, in agree i mean I think it's important for me as a as a consultant to actually give my opinion and uh, say when things are probably not going the right direction. But this decision in the end is up to you. I mean, 
it's your product. If you want to ruin it, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So uh, just to vent my options, I had a few options. Uh, I didn't have a super amazing budget because there is no venture capital or anything. And uh, I'm not uh, a developer myself like most founders are. So finding the right uh, person to build it was absolutely critical. So and considering the fact that I'm from Russia, I had a few options. I could find an agency here and kind of leverage the costs of doing that. Or I could go and, um, you know, find an agency over the overseas and try to uh, cut their, cut the MVP to the bare minimum and make me, make them build me something. But I'm so, so happy that I went with uh, kind of middle grounds and it's, exceptionally important that Benedict knows um, how startup industry works um, and how just how we play and how the uh, languages and everything like that. So whenever you just some advice for people like myself who might be thinking who to hire, it's, it's really amazing to have a person who knows how, what playing, uh, what game we're playing here. And Benedict definitely is. One of these people. Thank you, Benedict. You're amazing. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I agree. It's. I think it's important, especially in the early stage, to find someone who's who at least tries to understand the business side of things, because um, it's easy to build something super fancy, which is on a technical level like the best you could ever build, but uh, totally fail to de de deliver value to the product and build something that actually sells that's that's the hard part and i think it's important to keep it in mind while while developing products um also to know which parts to cut and which parts are really important um yeah 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 the the, the latest thing you mentioned your help was enormous when we were working on the mvp and so that you know the product is really basic it's super simple in terms of the main functionality but as we dug deeper we discovered little facets of you know little uh, situations or use cases that can can be improved or worked more uh, thoroughly uh, so benedict you were super strict about things like that should be included mvp in the mvp or that can wait How did yeah. you manage to be so strict <laughs> and, you know, um, focused? Because that was enormous help. Uh, I think that's that's something you build up over time, the experience, what you actually need and what you don't need. And I see that, see that a lot of time. Um, just last week, I had a request for a new project and they sent me a huge document with a lot of requirements. But only the very little part of the requirements and mock-ups they had done were actually about the core functionality of the product that would actually solve the customer's pain. Most of the stuff, and that, that happens really happens a lot, is um, I'm getting a document where it says the user is able to log in and the user is able to reset their password and the user is able to change their password and they can log out and they can sign up. <laughs> and that's... Of course, yeah, that's part of most, almost every application, but it does not add any value to the business. And um, it's important to keep the, keep the perspective and the focus on the actual value and also focus the, the energy in, in, in writing the concept and thinking about it on the, on the core value and not on those things that are 
always there and don't really differ from anything else. May I ask you a provocative question? When you find yourself in the founder's chair with um, your own product, with Stage CMS, for example, uh, yeah. do you find yourself as focused or as, do you still have that blurry effect of spreading yourself thin? Uh, yeah, that still happens. And as I mentioned, I've been building Stage CMS for 10 years. So uh -huh. it took me about <laughs> eight years to actually launch it. And you can see why I'm how I got to the point where I realized that just doing too much and not focusing on the core is actually a problem because yeah, it took me eight years or even more than eight years to actually launch the idea I had and build a product that actually does the thing I wanted to do. So um, yeah, that's, <laughs> I learned it the hard way, so to say. <laughs> I have uh, two close friends who are building a software product on their own these days, and they're not limited in any budgets or anything because one is the designer and the other is the developer. And mm -hmm. they, by not having these limitations, uh, I think from, from my standpoint, they're quite struggling not to be too perfect on certain issues. And they can polish every single thing to perfection right now. And I think yeah. that temptation is really bad because it prevents you from doing things fast even though the product is going to be amazing and stuff like that <laughs> yeah but uh, often the problem is that you you spend too much time polishing it up and then nobody is interested anymore because maybe you had a a, a lead who was interested in your product but it took you a year to finish it and they eventually found something else that they could use and are now happy with uh, with another solution so What I found for uh, what works for me is for every new feature I build in Stage CMS or new functionality, I usually don't do it just because I think it looks like a good idea, but uh, I wait until I have a customer who actually wants it and says, I'm going to pay for this new feature. And uh, that helps to keep the focus on the actual the, the parts that provide the value. Right. And when you ship things, uh, for example, we've been on this journey for uh, for one month, actually. We, we shipped right. We shipped the private beta before uh, before New Year, I think, yeah, yeah. or before Christmas, somewhere like that. And we can already see uh, emerging patterns of what people want in the actual product, even though it's not a ton of data yet. But some of them are definitely repeating and we've already rolled out a few improvements last week that address yeah. these very requests. Yeah, and, and you can never learn that until you start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's important to get the thing out the door quickly, even if it's not perfect and 100% polished. But yeah, you could spend a year making it super polished and then realize that your setup is all wrong and the, the, the way the users think about a problem is actually quite different and you have to redo everything to match their their thought process or their workflows. You never know until you right. get it in their hands. Yeah, so just to give you some background, uh, we launched private beta and we had a, f a number of uh, customers who prepaid for their lifetime license, which is a really great move if you want to validate your idea before you build it. So we launched the idea to these people. Mm. Got a 
a few pieces of very valuable feedback, but not like a whole ton because it was Christmas time and who really can hope for um, yeah. good feedback during Christmas. Come on. Um, and then we really, really fast, we moved on to the public version, which we launched on Product Hunt. And um, one of the biggest discoveries uh, for me, because I do have some marketing background with books, etc. One of the biggest discoveries for me is that the free trial is not uh, captivating and attractive enough as a free course or another freebie that we're used to market. So big advice for people here would be probably to uh, like uh, have another call to action on the sales page, which would collect everybody else who doesn't want to get in the trial in the first day. Uh, our goal was to get around 100 free trials on, on, uh, during the launch. And we hit about 50 in the first few days, which which was a bummer. I was really hoping for one. <laughs> yeah, oh, but you never what know. Do you think, uh, yeah, what do you think of our launch um, compared to others that you did? I think it was pretty good. Um, yeah, I think we had uh, had a good success. I, I'd consider it a success, yeah. Um, because... Um, just having signups and uh, is is a success in this case, uh, even if it's just a handful. And um, especially back then, we didn't have the forever free plan, so mm -hmm. those, people those people were kind of committing to paying a monthly fee for this. They at least liked the idea enough to sign up for a two-week trial and have the the possibility of actually having to pay something. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, the freemium plan, I decided to convert to freemium plan about a week. Well, actually, on the night of the launch, I was ready. We should have <laughs> made it freemium. Oh, my God, too late. <laughs> so initially, freemium model was, uh, was in my thoughts in the first days when the idea came up. Because the app is client-facing, which means that uh, people are showing it in use to their clients, which is an amazing thing. Uh, it's a really good marketing benefit. So by employing people who not even pay anything, they can still kind of spread the word about the app. But my friends, and I think Benedict too, said that the freemium is not a good idea uh, <laughs> at least in the beginning for uh, un until you validate. So I listened to their advice and uh, and didn't make it freemium in the first first few months, and then we switched to freemium. Well, uh, what's your take? Uh, you have seen many businesses of yourself and your friends, you know, come and flourish and go, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, have you seen much of freemium success? Um, to be honest. Uh... I have not seen a lot of success with freemium plans so far, especially <laughs> for uh, for people starting out. Um, but I get the idea why you decided to give it a try, and I'm I'm not against it. I'm just wondering if the effect is uh, if it, the effect is that big enough to, uh, especially at the beginning to. Um, yeah, basically give away money in a way because, uh, <laughs> because uh, maybe you get the same kind of visibility 
and some money by not having a free plan. But I don't know. We have to see. Right. My my biggest inspiration and it was and still is uh, Calendly. And we had Calendly founder here at UI Barcos podcast. He, he was uh, giving an interview for the UI audit book and he disclosed that uh, almost the entire user base is on the free plan and only, I think, 8 or 10% are paying. But that totally yeah. makes up for it because it's a very low-cost way of marketing the product. So I hear why it can be successful and hopefully we can uh, replicate it here. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, I think it, it's a numbers game in the end. Uh, we have to get enough signups so that we get this maybe 5% uh, paying users um, that actually make enough revenue to pay the development and pay the maintenance and stuff. Right, right. I talked the matters over with my friend uh, Ruben Games of uh, BeatSketch, and um, mm-hmm. he, he's been in, in the startup land for a while, so he has been collecting arguments for and against uh, freemium. And he pointed me towards a couple of videos. One of them I'm going to link in the show notes. It's really great. And I think yeah. there are four factors that you have to hit right uh, when you're doing a freemium thing. And uh, I think Tiny Reminder does hit them, uh, like all of them. One of them is uh, is being client-facing, that viral component. It's definitely yeah. there. Yeah. And the other important one is uh, seeing the immediate value of it. And I think... It's not like an app that you have to set up and wait for the whole month uh, to to see the value. Can by just submitting the form or or receiving a response, you can already see how much time it saved you. So, um, hopefully, crossing my fingers right here. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it in the camera, right? Uh, crossing my fingers, so we'll get it right. I so mean, you're right. Uh, there are a couple of factors that actually make it possible for, for Tiny Reminder to actually work with the freemium model. So I'm I'm not totally against it. <laughs> I just like revenue. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yes, exactly. One of the biggest pros is that revenue is way slower to come in. So it's it's a longer term game with the freemium plan. It, yeah. It's first few months, I don't know, hopefully months, not years, it's going to take to gain traction. And only then we can say we've finally we're there with the numbers uh, game. Uh, because yeah. for now it's statistically non-significant uh, yeah. to see who's on the play, pay plan and who's in the freemium. Uh, and surprisingly, uh, we had that conversation. What do you think? Uh, you had that argument about uh, actual server costs and email costs that might uh, be our enemy. Remember that mm-hmm. conversation? Mm-hmm. Can yeah, you recap a little bit? <laughs> Can you recap a little bit? Um, the way we set it up, uh, the way we set Tiny Reminder up is uh, basically we're using a lot of third-party services that do all the difficult work for us, like maintaining servers and keeping servers up and running, sending email, making sure email gets delivered. And of course, they they don't do this for free. So there is some cost involved for every, every single email we send. And um, with the freemium plan, we basically send a lot of emails and don't get paid for it. And uh, it's important to have those numbers in mind and not keep track of it uh, 
because in, in, in the end, the few paying customers have to also pay server costs and email costs for all the free emails that get sent out. So, yeah, that's something we have to keep in mind. Um, of course, we could cut down costs by hosting stuff ourselves, but that would also mean getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning, fixing something that went wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> right. Uh, actually, uh, as of today... I think we have not discussed it yet, uh, but I do have a very strong answer to these uh, to these mm, arguments. Because first, mm -hmm. when you told me, I'm like, yeah, oh my god, I, I might be in a, in a big, uh, you know, uh, in a big debt with these uh, obligations of freemium, etc. Right now, we have a, a, quite a significant user base, and my biggest trouble is not getting people to sign up, but to make them use this free app. So yeah. it's absolutely not even close to those you know 10 whatever limits we have for the free plan it's yeah. not even close it's not even close for people who who sign up they do play a little bit with the projects but they still they don't come back immediately with 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 new projects new recipients and stuff like that so yeah. i think it, it's my current puzzle number one how to how to make people use it I never thought it's yeah. going to be the biggest trouble. I thought maybe, you know, payment barriers, whatever, signups are going to be the most uh, challenging part. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's what happens when you, when you introduce a free plan or, plan or when, when your prices are pretty cheap. You're basically shifting the problem from acquisition to retention. And, uh, right. and uh, they are both hard things to solve. It's, it's in no way an easy game. Um, for stage CMS, it's the other way around. Retention is amazingly good. As soon as someone signs up, they stay for years. But getting them to sign up is super <laughs> complicated and hard. So, yeah, you will always have a problem to work on. And it will right. shift uh, between uh, all the various phases of the final. I would say that for a typical app that's not uh, that doesn't have all the success factors for the freemium, the absolute uh, the absolute middle ground and the golden middle or uh, thing like that is uh, to have a free trial and then you've got to have some paid plans there for people and they should not be two dollars they should be something significant to differentiate true paying customers from those who are just uh, yeah. Yeah. collecting counting pennies these are not your target audience yeah exactly i would love to, so we have a zapier integration uh, since it's a productivity tool it's significantly important to connect it with other tools that people use with their email marketing with their client acquisition software you know uh, their crms etc so we have a zapier integration at work which i'm super excited about since you're already quite almost finished with uh, with doing that, can you give us some uh, overview of their process? What was new? What was surprising? How does it work? Um, I can only talk about the technical aspect so far. And um, what I really liked about it that they they were very close to in in in. The way it works is very close to the way I would build it, which made it quite easy for me to integrate. Um, I, I've heard other stories where, where people 
are not really happy with their expectations about how the how Tyrion Mida would have to work to be able to integrate with um, with Sapia, but uh, in my case or in our case, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, other than that, I I think it was pretty easy to integrate. Um, it was was a fun fun project over Christmas in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on my side of things, I didn't. I just saw. Um, I just saw it almost ready, and I was quite surprised that it was such an amazing win. So my biggest amazing moment was looking in their development documents, and they have since they. I don't know how much how many apps they have uh, inside working with them, but it's definitely somewhere in the hundreds or in thousands, right? And uh, yeah. they have streamlined the process to absolutely seamless super documented and uh, quite intimidating to me <laughs> it's like you know apps so you're essentially submitting your your fruit of development to their store not a store but their library and they documented this to every little comma um and the first line I, I saw in the documentation is what if you're looking for a quick marketing win by including your app here don't even think of that because it's so complex and hard um, it's not gonna be like that <laughs> what's your take on this um, I think they are not that much talking about the technical side of things but I can see that just having you submitted there doesn't really sell your product better. Um, and I think the marketing effects of just having your app on the website, on their website, is not going to bring you more users. Um, I think it's what, what probably drives signups and uh, gets people to use this is um, if we promote it in Tiny Reminder and say, hey, connect Tiny Reminder to whatever, Dropbox or Intercom or your CRM. I think that's the part where the user gets the value. I don't think people would be browsing on Sapia and thinking, yeah, I need something that sends reminders to people who <laughs> sign up in my, in my web app. I think it's not working that way. Exactly. And one, one other problem with Tiny Reminder, it's, not, it's a productivity tool, obviously, but it's not easily categorizable. Like, it's not a product management tool. It's not, like, a time tracker. It doesn't have a specific category. It might be yeah. classified as a form builder, but it's not the main value, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I tried to submit a tiny reminder to Captera, which is, like, a huge software listing. Uh, and they said, mm -hmm. sorry, no, we don't have a, a suitable category for you. I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> And yeah. I think uh, Zapier is probably uh, probably the case. I don't even know. Are we going to do the form builders there? or? Uh... <laughs> I don't have the categories in mind at the, uh, at the top of my head right now. Um, I think I, I think as Tiny Reminder as an automation tool. And because it, it's automating the follow-up process with sending people reminders. So I'd go for automation if that's an... And ca a category somewhere in there. I don't know. Right. Right. Um, 
I wonder, yeah. So I think that's about it. What we wanted to discuss on on today's call, uh, because that's far. That's how far we went with the product, and I'm really excited. I think there is a ton of thing to do on my side with the marketing to make these people use the app. So Zapier, like any other tool, you can't just drop it on people and say you have these new powers. It's only for super creative who can think of new uses. For yeah. majority of user base, you have to heavily promote the ways of using it, the use cases, describing possible integrations in detail. And that's, that's a lot of things to write down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I think it's a lot of work to get people to actually use the app. Yeah. Right. Um, so, Benedict, thank you so much for, for sharing things today. Thank you so much for making Tiny Reminder happen. I think it's the fastest you know, idea to market that I've ever seen in my life. Definitely a big perk of being a founder. You can do things as fast and <laughs> as possible. Yeah, it was a well-thought-out product, so it was easy to get it out the door quickly. Right. I think that helps with the process. Woohoo! Uh, fantastic. Uh, Benedict, where can people find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter, at Benedict Dijker, and I have a website, benedictdijker.com. Dot com. Sorry, I'm switching to German for some weird reason. Benedictdijk.com. <laughs> um, yeah, that's basically it. And I think we just linked us in the show notes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So you are cons accepting consulting work, are you? I'm accepting consulting work, yes. So if yeah. you have a product you want to get out the door, get in, in touch with me and I'm, I, I'll be happy to help. Yeah, it feels almost like having a co-founder, but without, uh, yeah, but with keeping your final word to yourself. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. Thank you for joining us today and uh, good luck in your consulting and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Have a nice week. You, have a nice week. you too.